FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Sasswhat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio, Bigfoot's safe place. <laughs> and uh, Mark has just returned from his recent getaway, and he started telling me about it, and I think I had some technical difficulties and missed some of it because I was thinking. Uh, Mark, how was your vacay? It was excellent. We go up to a little uh, lake north of Ottawa, Ontario. We're actually in French-speaking Quebec, where we go. And uh, just basically 10 days of sun and water and fish and uh, looking for the lake monster, which was reported in that lake in 1913 through 1930 and then pretty much disappeared with the advent of the outboard motor. Oh, so you've talked about this. Nothing turned up. Yeah. Yeah. That's how long we've been doing Sasswhat, that you've actually talked about this when you went last time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I'm like the old man repeating himself. Yeah, yeah. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Yeah. I don't think... I'm sure there's listeners out there who want to stop us from repeating ourselves, because I'm pretty sure I've repeated things on the show a dozen times. Um, so no Bigfoot. You didn't see Bigfoot. You didn't prove the species while you were there. Um, I did, but I'm waiting... For the right time to release my information. Gosh, nice. A real Rick <laughs> Dyer move. Um, we got a letter from George, and I'm going to butcher your name, George. George Theodosis, and George titled the letter Perception. <clears throat> he had this to say, hi, Seth and Mark, big fan of your podcast. My complaint is the usual one. Episodes are not long enough. I wanted to put across an opinion on Mark's closing statement with regards to perception in last week's show. Although I understand his argument, I would like to introduce another dimension to the argument by proposing that perception and consequently the reasoning process can indeed be influenced by location, but also by situation. What I mean by this is that someone visiting Loch Ness could be influenced by knowledge of the legend and try to interpret what they are not used to seeing into what they have heard about. So a log or an otter can be misinterpreted as Nessie. Similarly, someone walking the forest in North America can also see something unfamiliar and inadvertently will associate it with Bigfoot because of what they have heard or read about. But I would like to point out that in both these examples, the person subconsciously is aware of the alleged existence of a cryptid and therefore makes the connection in terms of, I have seen X, it is unusual, therefore I must be Y. I think it meant it must be why. However, the perception and thought process changes completely in my personal experience when you are not expecting the possibility of seeing something. I, for example, live in the rural heartlands of England. I was taking laundry off the line from my wife one early evening when I saw something take the width of my yard in two strides and then jump to the top of a six-foot fence panel where it balanced on all four feet for three seconds and then jumped into the neighbor's yard. The thoughts that went through my mind were as follows. A boxer is in my backyard, followed by, wait, boxers don't have long tails, followed by, don't be ridiculous, boxers do not jump onto six-foot fences in a fluid movement and perch on it. 
As you can see in my thought process, I tried to explain what I was seeing based on what I was familiar with, and by deduction, I came to my conclusion. The size was so much bigger than a domestic cat, it was the size of a medium dog. Therefore, my mind related what I was seeing to an animal that I was familiar with and which, the f which fit the environment I was in. It was by eliminating what did not make sense that I came to the conclusion that I had seen a mountain lion. Now, I had heard of big cats having been seen in the UK, but I had always heard of them as being black. At the time, I had not given thought in years and in days following this, I found out that tan-colored big cats were also spotted from time to time in the UK. <clears throat> I apologize for the lengthy email, but the point I would like to make is that although I agree with the point Mark made... I believe that its accuracy relies on the subject's knowledge of a legend and to a certain extent their reason for being in that place at that time. Someone squatching may be more likely to make a connection between what they see and what they have heard than someone who is not aware of a legend or not looking for one. I am not in any way discounting what people claim they see. I am just putting forward the proposal that thought process is created by situation. Keep up the good work, George. Mark, that is in aimed at entirely at you. It is. And if I remembered exactly what I said, I might be in a better position to respond. Mm -hmm. But I, cause I don't disagree with anything that George says there. Yeah. I think when it comes to perception, it does depend on context. I mean, that that is a given, and it's a great point. And I think that may be what I was trying to stumble towards <laughs> in some of my closing thoughts, was that if you are going out specifically looking for Sasquatch, then the way that you interpret information is probably going to be slanted that way. And, you know, privately, I would probably say that when I hear some people talk about their experiences out in the woods, it all seems to be pointed at Bigfoot and no other, you know, alternative exp explanation is offered. And so th that is a, a huge part of the perception picture, no doubt about it. So I... And that's a fascinating uh, little anecdote that George relates there about what he saw Yeah, in itself. Yeah. I find uh, big cat sightings really fascinating um, for multiple reasons. Um, there's these the, the ongoing thing with the Minerva case where it's like cats or young, like what were people seeing? Yeah. His, it's, it's a weird angle to that Minerva case because I have been doing some videography work for a lady that owns a farm down there, and she's been telling me that there are big cats in the woods behind her house. And recently, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm even supposed to say this, but some friends of mine who you know were at a certain family's house last week. And one of the family members showed Brandon what is clearly a black uh, mountain lion or cougar or panther, whatever you call it, uh, right on the hill behind their house. Um, <laughs> so that throws a lot of theories and things yeah. that I had about the Minerva case out the window. So I don't know what to think about any of this anymore. Um Stuff gets weirder every day, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we'll talk more at some point about that because I think we'll be able to to maybe have a more in-depth episode on the Minerva case and get... Uh, I'm talking about Brandon. He's probably listening to this right now. So, okay. Brandon, you're going to come on Sasquatch. You're going to tell us what was said, what you've seen, if you're allowed, and we'll talk about it on the show as it relates to the Minerva case. We got another letter, this one from... Okay, I the name on... Okay, Will... This was from Will. We'll just say that. 
The the letter says, my name is Will, and I just wanted to write and tell you how much I enjoy your podcast and appreciate the work you put into it. I grew up in Cincinnati and spent lots of times in time in the library as a 1970s, 80s kid, reading everything I could about Bigfoot, ghosts, Loch Ness Monster, etc. Bigfoot always particularly interested me, and my whole life I, I have kept up on Sasquatch and the culture surrounding the myth. I moved to Canada years ago and now live very close to Harrison Hot Springs, where, as you know, lots of people think the modern version of Sasquatch really took off. To come from Ohio with a Bigfoot interest and now live at what could be described as Sasquatch Ground Zero is pretty cool. In the last two years, I've gotten most of my Bigfoot information from books, the internet, and watching the Squatcher's Lounge on YouTube. I then started listening to podcasts such as The Bigfoot Show, and I recently found yours. I go back and forth about my personal feelings about Bigfoot. Looking at the thick woods on the mountains that surround my area, it makes me feel hopeful that they are out there, but I think that's just my emotional response to a lifelong interest. I doubt such a creature is real and think that most folks' experiences are just human beings projecting what they hope to see and hear or not understanding something and inserting Sasquatch as the answer, something we have done for 100,000 years. But if someone found a body tomorrow or had something more than a blob squash caught on film, I would be as happy as any of us. Like I say, I go back and forth and I'm open-minded and hopeful. But even without solid evidence, the culture surrounding Bigfoot from the time I saw him as a kid on The Six Million Dollar Man to modern shows like Finding Bigfoot and from blogs, YouTube channels, and podcasts, even the shady characters like Moneymaker, doing exactly what his name says with Bigfoot keeps me really interested. Anyways... It's a real treat to find a well-produced show done by fellow Ohioans. Little things like the wood sounds you have in the background add lots to the show. I know it's a labor of love for you all, and I appreciate it. Uh, he goes on to talk a little bit more about uh, the show. But th he does say, did you ever do a show about what hooked you guys into Bigfoot in the first place? I would be interested to hear your stories. Uh, bah, 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 bah. If you have already discussed that on the show, could you point me to that episode? Did I feel like we did an episode where we talked about what got us into Bigfoot, didn't we? Yeah. Well, I don't know if we've done it specifically, that topic, but I know we've talked around it when we talked about books and TV shows, movies, and stuff like that. Right. We at least touched on it then. <clears throat> yeah, I mean... It we can really briefly touch on it, and I, I, sure. I can't even point you to the episodes where we did that. Um, for me, it was a uh, gentleman that I went to church with. Uh, this guy taught me like everything I know about sound. So um, <clears throat> we used to operate the soundboard at church together on Sundays. And one Sunday, he brought in a DVD with a bunch of, of like documentaries on like UFOs and like monsters. And one of them was on Bigfoot and I watched it and I was hooked. Now what, what actually got me into looking into the phenomenon actively beyond just, you know, watching documentaries or reading books was, um, there were a series of sightings in the town that I grew up in, uh, just outside of town. And I used to go down and kind of quote unquote, investigate those sightings. And by investigate, I mostly mean that I would talk to locals and, kind of find out if there was anything actually to it and a couple times i drove down there after dark and you know stood in the dark trying to see if i could hear or to see anything or hear anything yeah. so um and then i really got into it a couple of years ago and, and started investigating those historical reports from newspapers and that was what kind of made me think well maybe this is more than just a fun you know active fancy uh, fantasy on parts of witnesses and maybe there's actually something behind it. So um, that's the quick version 
of what got me into Bigfoot. What got you yeah. into Bigfoot, Mark? It really two things. The first that I can remember is the Saturday morning TV show, and it was part of a larger like umbrella show like Sid and Marty Croft or something like that, but it was Bigfoot and Wild Boy. It was just like these little 15-minute or 20-minute half-hour segments where it was a wild boy and Bigfoot, and they would... I don't even really remember any plots, but I just remember the two of them. And as a little kid, four or five years old, thinking that that was about the coolest thing that you could possibly have as a Bigfoot friend to run around the woods with you. And so that drove me to the library, and I think the very first book that I picked up and read on the subject cover to cover was Marion T. Places on the Track of Bigfoot. And then not long after that, Bigfoot All Over the Country came out. And that really set the course for me. In terms of investigation, for me, it's been mostly in the realm of reading the literature. And only relatively recently have I gotten into, you know, actually talking to people who are really out there researching and going to Bigfoot conferences and stuff like that. So that it's real, that's the, the twin prong approach was basically TV and books got me into it. Tonight's topic what we're talking about is um swamp monsters slash swamp bigfoot and there's there's a number of things <clears throat> i'm gonna have to cut this out jeez i have so much crud in my throat it's like <clears throat> <clears throat> is it allergies or no i i know you know it's one of those nights where i came home and ate an entire pizza and that oh, was just disgusting okay. like after <laughs> i i don't know why i do that on nights when i have to it's awful yeah, uh, it's just disgusting. Um, okay, <laughs> tonight we're talking about swamp monsters or swamp bigfoots. There's a number of reasons why I picked this particular topic. Uh, one of them is that we haven't done a proper kind of sighting slash bigfoot centric episode in a while. I think a lot of our recent episodes have focused around the, the community and the culture uh, mm-hmm. instead of the actual creature and the hunt for the creature and the things that kind of got us into this in the first place. So back to that. And uh, nothing grabs my attention more than the concept of a swamp dwelling ape. Um, I love the idea of the Pacific Northwest classic Bigfoot, but uh, it pales in comparison to me to that uh, poster uh, to, to by Ralph McQuarrie of yes. uh, Legend of Boggy Creek with the shadowy visage of the Bigfoot lumbering out of the swamp. And yeah. when, when I think of Bigfoot, that is my Bigfoot. Um, it's that kind of, you know, lithe, nimble, uh, mean-spirited, mm-hmm. angry, smelly, uh, swamp-dwelling creature. So yeah, I wanted to kind of uh, focus a little bit on that. We don't have a ton of time, but I wanted to get into this as, as good as as good as we could. And if you like this topic and you're like, I want to hear these guys talk more about this. I'm annoyed that they only do half hour long episodes. What you can do <laughs> is you can actually go to the David Floyd episodes of Sass What. Uh, and I'm not sure on the numbers or the number. Was it one episode or two? I feel like it was two. It was just one. Okay. I think. It felt like two. It would- it was <laughs> it was two episodes worth of content. Really. Right, right. There's a In lot. One, yeah, there's a lot of kind of swamp uh, dwelling stories in there that, that David goes into, and you can learn yeah. all about that. And we're having, I, I have to say this, and I'm going to say this on air because I know David listens to the show sometimes, at least unless we've driven him away by now. <laughs> uh, but 
We are going to have David on again. He's one of our favorite guests. The guy's a genius, and he's uh, it kind of comes across as our type of dude. So we we <laughs> we got to get David back on the show, and hopefully he can tell us some more swampy Bigfoot stories. But um, yeah, this, this you know he actually Seth he actually got in touch with me this past week mm-hmm. to let me know that there was some lizard man action going on and like new sightings, and he was going to try and vet those a little bit and then get in touch with us again to see what's going on down there. David, you owe us. So um, (laughs) we're going to, we're demanding right now that you come on the show. Yeah. So, so yeah, lizard man is obviously a a famous uh, Bigfoot. uh, And when I say Bigfoot, I mean, a lot of people think it's a Bigfoot, but it's a swamp dwelling creature and it's, possibly related to Bigfoot. That's what I mean when I say swamp monsters. I'm not necessarily yeah. wanting to talk about like Lizard Man specifically or uh, things like that, but I did have some time today to do uh, the most minimal amount of research that I can muster. And uh, what I wanted to look up was like, when did this sort of like swamp mythology begin? Mm. Like when did, when did folk tales centering around swamps really start? And it, I mean, it's been forever. So... Mm-hmm. It turns out that really uh, what I thought was possibly like a more of a modern era, you know, late 1800s, I could see it maybe starting and then kind of moving into the modern era. It's not like this is this is a centuries old phenomenon. Uh, the swamps in general, I think, are just creepy places. Like I grew up with a giant pond behind my house. And mm-hmm. it kind of had that swamp. It wasn't surrounded by trees, but there was a dense forest around it. And then there was a huge open field behind it. But it was, it always had that same kind of mystery to it. We spent a lot of time down in there. Uh, I gashed open my feet in that pond on broken bottles more time than oh. I care to recall. Uh, and that swamp is actually gone today. It's now part of a lake that's that was kind of created by the local. But anyway, I'm getting mm-hmm. totally off topic. But... Um, <laughs> That I grew up in an area that was it was surprisingly surrounded by a lot of swamp, and f- interestingly enough, where I live now, there's also tons of swamp. That River Sticks, I talk about River Sticks and the River Sticks monster all the time. Mm-hmm. That area, especially in the '70s, before they created this runoff, uh, they they basically built a giant dam to keep the swamp from spreading. So now there's very little swamp there, but back in the seventies when all the river six monster sightings were happen happening, that was a huge swamp. And today, uh, particularly right after winter, when the snow melt has happened, you drive river sticks road and the roads around it. And, and it's all swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that whole area has been rife with, um, you know, Bigfoot reports and the river sticks monster reports since, way back but right um i know we we want to get into into you know our stories and everything but before we do that i did want to ask you if you're aware of the great i think it's called like the great black swamp that used to be in ohio yes we've talked a little bit about that right actually it was gigantic wasn't it? enormous it stretched from um like east uh, eastern ohio into indiana Hmm. um so it was miles and miles of nothing but swamp and it took them it took settlers uh, decades to kind of get it to a point where it was manageable. And now mm-hmm. it's some of the most fertile uh, farmer's fields in Ohio. But that area was well known for being inhabited by uh, cougar and, and, you know, black bear and rattlesnake. Yeah. And, you know, there's these legends about pythons. And, 
And right. I have to conjure up in my head visions of Bigfoots, you know, roaming around that area. And then I always talk about the fact that if you do track Ohio Bigfoot reports, historically, that area of Ohio was rife with Bigfoot reports um, right up into the 1930s. And that's when they go away from that area and kind of drift down towards the south, which is the more mm-hmm. now it's the, the part of Ohio that's still heavily forested but back apparently back then uh that sort of eastern or not eastern that western uh portion of ohio northwest portion of ohio was covered in the swamp and there were a lot of bigfoot reports possible ape reports in that area which i find kind of cool we might have had our own swamp apes yeah absolutely and i spent a dozen years in northeast ohio and it, it the thing that's interesting is that when you would add on uh uh, suburb, and when when suburbs would add on subdivisions, you know a lot of what they had to work with up there, especially kind of south and southeast of Cleveland, was old swampland, and they would go in, drain the old swamps, mm-hmm. and then build McMansions on it. Yeah, and it, and then you know they would wonder why their basements would fill up with water, you know, during a heavy thunderstorm, things like that. Well, you're in this, you're built on a swamp. And I think an interesting connection is that that's where a lot of your sightings historically happen of Bigfoot is in those sort of liminal areas between what was once a swampy wilderness and now it's trying to be sort of civilized and you get a lot of crossover things happening in areas like that. I mean, that goes back to like Lauren Coleman's Mysterious America and all that stuff, you know, with where people see things is usually on the outskirts of town and when you're making a suburb and you're making a subdivision, you're creating a new edge of town at that point. And you get a lot of sightings of all manner of strange things in those areas. You know, the the phantom cats, Bigfoot, giant birds, they all seem to uh, hang around those in-between areas. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, last year, uh, there were a series of reports that started down near my parents' house. And uh, my parents live in bolivar ohio mm-hmm. and there were all these reports that started coming around um like one after the next and they all took place on an area right outside of town that is a swamp that stretches probably 10 miles i mean in any direction it's a it's a big swamp um and i'm i think i honestly think that's why i'm so drawn to it because i grew up in an area that is very swampy so um and it's covered in those reports so anyway i'm doing my research today and obviously the, the first thing i come across is the honey island swamp monster and we've talked about the honey island swamp monster on sasswat before my knowledge of this case is extremely lacking i i think i'm going entirely off of what i've read of maybe like lauren coleman and a little bit of some documentary i might have seen a while ago but the honey island swamp monster is comparable to like legend of boggy beast of boggy creek or legend of boggy creek the the boggy creek bigfoot it's this there's this guy named harlan ford he's okay let me see if i get this right you you might know this better than me and you can correct me if i'm wrong but harlan ford was a hunter is that right him and his buddy were like hunting they're they're back in the woods they come across tracks and then they find a dead pig or hog with its neck ripped out if i remember right is what i that's what i think i was reading so anyway 
I'm reading all this, you know, and it's a really cool story. But then Harlan also has like two more encounters with the thing. And so automatically I'm feeling very skeptical. Um, yeah. There's another guy's name there who I'm not recalling. You might be Hollyfield. Is that right? Something Dana Hollyfield, possibly. Mm-hmm. That, okay. Yeah. Sounds okay, right. and he might have been the other hunter. So, so the Honey Island Swamp Monster seems to kind of originate with these two guys. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't maybe stories before that, and that's where they picked it up, but the Honey Island Swamp Monster definitely seems to originate there. Now, I have 100% seen photos of the shoes used to make some of those tracks. Uh, do, you, do you know this? The what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Okay. You have to someone educate me. I don't. I cannot educate you. I all I know is <laughs> this is going to be my least educational episode of Sasquatch because all I know is I've seen online those pictures of those shoes that were probably they, used to create the Honey Island Swamp Monster tracks. Uh, were they three toed? Yeah, three toed tracks. Okay, um, very similar to you know the Lizard Man or any of those other three toed mm-hmm. kind of tracks. Um, so. I think the thinking here is that this is, you know, I think Harlan, possibly whoever else, described this thing as being a Bigfoot-type creature, but a lot of people connect it more towards the creature from the Black Lagoon. The entire Honey Island Swamp Monster story seems to be mired in... uh, See what I did there? Mired in, in, you know, kind of uh, possible hoaxery and lies... Um, but there might be some element of truth in it. And I know if anyone can educate me on this, it's our lovely listeners. So, um, if anyone wants to educate us on this, feel free to. And I obviously want to eventually do an entire episode on the Honey Island Swamp Monster because it's obviously a very important story in Bigfoot lore. It's mentioned constantly. Yeah. I have, uh, my introduction to Honey Island Swamp Monster was a book by Elwood Bauman called, I think, Monsters and Mysteries of North America. Mm-hmm. And he devotes a couple chapters to Honey Island Swamp Monster and reports it all pretty much, um, you know, as is, or, or uncritically, I guess, I should say. And so in, in those accounts, you know, it comes across, as you described, you know, that the, they're out there and they see the, the left the leftovers that the, of the hog and stuff, and then they repeatedly see the creature and it's all very i mean it just it uh tickles the imagination because you can just sort of see all of the the details and the murkiness and the you know the the how it's untrodden territory that they're all the all back there by themselves and you know sort of where few people ever see that type of thing and that's all part of the whole swamp mystique is that these are places where people rarely go and the people who do go there you know um seem to know what they're doing so <laughs> you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt when they come up with a fantastic story like right this. i was reading about it on a skeptical website and the guy that wrote the article said he had gone down there and done some research and he'd actually gone out with a local uh tour group who does tours of the uh honey island swamp or possibly some sort of river but anyway, they were they were down there, and he asked them, you know, what they thought of it, and they had no uh, inkling that there was any truth to it. They didn't think they'd never seen anything, and these people were on this swamp every day for decades. So mm-hmm. that's when. Now, when did those sightings come to light? 
Do you have a sense of that? I think it was like, like the late it? 60s and then early 70s. I, I did see the date 1974, the year 1974 mm-hmm. mentioned in there. I don't know if that's when it started, if it was before that. I'm not sure. So there was a, there was a definite Bigfoot consciousness going on at that point, mm-hmm. M- meaning that if somebody was going to fabricate a story, they would have plenty of you know, inspirational material sure. to work off sure. of. I, I, I'm not saying that is what happened or not, but it just, by that point, Bigfoot was in the air yeah. and uh, who knows? Yeah. We like to, we like to always bring up the skeptical side of things on this show. I mean, it's what we do. It's how we do it. We keep it fair and balanced. Um, I don't know enough about this story. I, I'm going to learn more about it. All right. Well, I found something I think you may like in my research for this Mm -hmm. show. And it is a sighting that allegedly took place, get this, in 1829 in the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And not only is it a sighting report, but it is a aggressive Bigfoot attack report, which is extremely graphic. So be warned, gentle listener. It it gets really ugly. Um. We're talking about near the south end of Ware County, the line that divides Georgia from Florida, and that passes through the Okefenokee Swamp. In 1829, settlers were pushing into the fringes of the swamp. Uh, Surrounded by the stunning beauty of the swamp, they quickly picked up on an Indian legend that held a mysterious race of people living on an island deep in the wilderness. Now, you started off, you know, Seth, talking about sort of the mythological underpinnings of the swamp as sort of being a a source for these sort of stories. And that really caught my interest because this whole thing starts um, this way, which it hits my ears as extremely legendary. And I'll see what you think. Uh, This legend first appeared in print in 1806 in Jedediah Morris's book, (laughs) Geography Made Easy. It's a great title. In his section on Georgia, Morris repeated a legend that a group of Indian hunters had gone into the swamp and became lost. When they were in a desperate condition, a party of the most beautiful women they had ever seen came to their rescue. And then this is a verbatim quote. They being lost in inextricable swamps and bogs and on the point of perishing were unexpectedly relieved by a company of beautiful women whom they called daughters of the sun who kindly gave them such provisions as they had with them consisting of fruit and corn cakes. The tale, as repeated by Morse, continued with the women warning the hunters to flee as fast as possible to their own country because, and I quote, their husbands were fierce men and cruel to strangers. These men of the swamp were said by the Creek Indians to be of gigantic stature and both cruel and warlike. So that is sort of the the mythological brew that's coming out of that swamp, you know, long before even the sighting report that I'm about to give you stretches back. What do you, what do you make of that? The beautiful women and the, their mean husbands who they better not come into contact with. I mean, is that uh, just cautionary tale stuff going on or, or it's so far back think? and it's so bizarre. I, this is like those wild man reports. Like I just have a hard time right. reading Bigfoot into it sometimes. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, there are parallels. This reminds me more of like the, the Canadian Sasquatch stories. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the tribe of Sasquatch. Yeah. Right. But the, right. The swamp connection is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's about this particular 
area that uh, then in the, the winter of 1828 and 29 was extremely dry, and that evidently made it possible for people to go places where they weren't able to get to previously. So a couple men living on the edge of the swamp decided they were going to go in as deep as they could and just push in and see what was in there. So accompanied by a boy, they went into the Okefenokee, and over the course of two weeks, continued to penetrate deeper and deeper into it. As they explored the very heart of the swamp, they made a discovery of gigantic footprints. The length of the foot was 18 inches, the breadth 9. From every appearance, it must have moved in an easy or hesitating gait, his stride from heel to toe being a little over 6 feet. And that was enough for them. They hightailed it back to civilization. But, and this is again, you know, 1828-29, what would you expect to happen next when word gets posse. out that a posse, exactly right, which is exactly what happens. Um, Florida hunters, nine in number, go into the swamp to find the mysterious giant. And um, so finally, uh, they pitched a camp. The next minute, the creature, uh, after this was you know, after some hunting, the next minute he was full in their view, advancing upon them with a terrible look and ferocious mien, Our little band instinctively gathered close in a body and presented their rifles. The huge being, nothing daunted, bounded upon his victims and in the same instant received the contents of seven rifles. This fight, however, did not end there. He did not fall alone or until he had glutted his wrath with the death of five of them, which he effected by wringing the head from the body. Writhing and exhausted at length, he fell with his hapless prey beneath his grasp. As the creature lay dying on the ground, Writhing and sometimes roaring, the men who survived the attack gathered around it to make a closer inspection. The creature was found to measure 13 feet from head to toe, and his breadth and volume of just proportions. Immediately fearful that the dying monster's cries might attract others of its kind, the hunters fled the swamp. The men who died in the battle with the creature were left lying where they had fallen. So, the newspaper correspondent who reported it wrote that people living in Ware County on the margins of the Okefenokee clearly believed the story. I gotta tell you what, I'm on okafinoki.com. There's yeah. a section of the site called X-Files. Did you go there? No. There's a whole Okafinoki no. uh, X-Files section of the site, and it's all it's all Bigfoot stuff. Two two farmers <laughs> were deer hunting near the Waycross side of the swamp and observed a seven-and-a-half-foot-tall creature covered with grayish-brown hair crossing the Southern Railroad tracks. The creature stopped and stared at them for a while, and they stared back. The huge humanoid finally lumbered off, disappearing into the swamp. Some years ago, a family visiting their grandmother's house at the Okefenokee Swamp were passing the time fishing. Suddenly, the mother began screaming and pointing at this thing that was carrying away our stringer, said a man who was 12 at the time, and related the story recently to the Georgia Swamp Ape Research Center. The creature was 30 yards distant, loping along a creek. The father shouted angrily at the animal and pursued until he got close, and it turned around and screamed at us. The father turned and ran, quickly gathering the family into the car and and leaving. That night, Granny informed the family she heard stuff around all the time but stayed in the house at night. Hmm. There's a whole ton of stories on here about the Okefenokee Swamp, and I've heard about the Okefenokee swamp here's a story let's just read this as long as i'm doing this okay there's nothing like just relaying information as i'm finding it on the show when i was a boy some 20 something years ago my daddy and i were fishing bush bush hooks at night in the saint mary's river a little north of the swamp 
We were in a little John boat and had a flashlight lantern to see by. We had paddled up into a small lake just off the main river when I heard something that scared me. I heard something big tromping through the woods between us and the main river. It sounded like it walked on two legs by the rhythm rhythm of its strides. It paused for a second and then made a gigantic splash. The boat rocked as the waves from the splash reached us. I was terrified, but my daddy had the flashlight in one hand and a big catfish on a bush hook in the other, and I couldn't see anything behind me where the noise was. After a few seconds of splashing, I heard whatever it was climb up the opposite bank and continue crashing on down the river bank away from us. I don't know for sure what it was, but I think it was too big and heavy to have been a deer. I suppose it could have been a bear, but it sounded like it was tromping through on two legs, and I'm sure it could see us and wasn't fearful in the least to jump into the water almost on top of us. Uh, This goes on. Um, there's an ongoing thing here where this kid continues to see and hear things for days. So Okafinoke X-Files, folks, go to okafinoke.com. There's a whole series of stories. The Pigman, AKA Sasquatch sightings. They, ah, yeah. Georgia Pigman, um, which has nothing to do with his appearance, if I'm not mistaken, but the fact that he likes to strangle and murder pigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a big bacon eater. Uh, he loves yes. Georgia Bigfoot. Um, but so I okay we're we've only touched the surface here and we're already well past our our end time so we got to wrap this up but um, I'm gonna let you wrap us up anything in closing on the pig man <laughs> pig man <laughs> <laughs> well I I think it's probably not a, a heart healthy diet that he's involved with there you know I do I want to go back to one thing that was in the second letter that you read. Mm-hmm. And this has been sort of kicking around in my head now since we've been kind of dealing with this issue. And that is, you know, the the idea that Bigfoot is sort of a projection of the human mind um, and that this has been happening for thousands of years. And clearly it has to some degree. But the question that I have, and I, I'm not suggesting any answer, I'm, I'm bl- trusting our listeners once again to... Uh, sort of throw throw it back in our direction here. But if it is true, if it is true that the Bigfoot phenomena, that we're not talking about a flesh and blood, blood creature, but instead um, this is all sort of a, a projection of our subconscious and we're misreading things that we see in the woods. Um, if that's true, then is there anything that we can compare this to in some other area of life? In other words, is there some other thing that we think we see that we're not really seeing? That it's in fact some subconscious construct of our minds that we think is there but isn't? I guess the question that I have is, if we're doing that with Bigfoot, then do we do that with anything else? If so, what is it? Because it it seems to me that sometimes seems like that's a, a... I don't, I don't disagree at all with the t- overall tenor and tone of that letter. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that, you know, he's 70s, 80s, Bigfoot guy. I mean, I, I resonate with all of that. But we've heard this a lot, that Bigfoot is a projection of the subconscious mind. Okay, if that's true, then do we do that in some other areas of life as well? And if so, what would that be? Hmm. I guess I'm just throwing that out there. Because if we're going to say... Well, you know, in the end, Bigfoot's just a projection. Okay, that's that's all right as a theory. What name something else that we do as humans, where it's an approximation of that same projection? Because I I really come up with nothing. 
know. I mean, I think anyone would argue that any of this kind of supernatural stuff could be arguably something like that. But are you referring to like something that is proven to have been to be an ongoing kind of? Because like anyone could say that UFOs are a you know a manifestation of people's imagination, or mm-hmm. you know, a, a, right? The same with ghosts or any of that stuff. Yeah, but I guess I'm talking about in my question at, at thinking of more mundane mm-hmm. things. Well, what if what if you like know, I'm sitting here and I'm staring at this microphone? What if the microphone's not real? What if like right. I mean, I'm having this could be the matrix. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to end the episode. <laughs> Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breedslove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.